Get that India, big boy. Hello ladies and gentlemen, my name is John, also known as 4020. Apologies if I sound a little bit nasally, I am just recovering from a rather nasty bout of the flu, which is why we have this delayed and abridged version of the tip sheet this week, but joining me as always is my good mate 60s, 60s champ, it is always a pleasure to have you on board. I hope you've been faring better than I have this week. Mate, I'll guarantee I've been feeling better than what you have. We've spoken through the week and uh, without uh, playing it up too much, Mate, you sounded awful. Yeah, That's was... all I'll say. You just sounded, you sounded awful. So, so yeah, uh, that, that was the reason for the way podcast, that it wasn't due to the unfortunate loss against South Sydney. Um, I was actually just out of commission entirely this week, so just back on my feet now and feeling a little bit more reasonable. Yeah, well, look, I, I will be honest in that it, we didn't do an, uh, an immediate uh, post-game podcast because, to put it bluntly, I had the shits. <laughs> but but we were lined up to start recording around Monday, and yeah, it just hasn't just hasn't happened. And um, just on that, I just I had a little bit of a interesting chat with Para through and through during the week this week, and he said people had said to him uh, about sixties uh, never gets angry or upset with the eels he's he's always got something positive to say and he said his reply to them was you've never sat with 60s at a game have you yeah (laughs) when you're creating content like this you know both as a a blog and as a podcast you need to be you learn to measure yourself in terms of public opinion so it's it's easy to not easy but you control yourself in terms of how you you know you approach your content creation because as a fan, you, you do get upset. You get really upset. You know, the, the loss against South Sydney, the loss against Manly, they both really stung. And, you know, there, there were plenty of negatives that on the day really consume you. But when you have the... The other thing that we've learned too is the benefit of separating yourself from a game by the virtue of a night's rest or a night or two's rest can help you uh, see the forest for the trees sometimes. Yeah, I must say that I'm someone that, first of all, I understand my own limitations in terms of letting emotions get the better of me when I'm creating content. So that's why I'm quite prepared to step aside and let yourself and Mitch do the immediate post-game reviews with uh, Whiskey Musings and the post-game grades. But uh, when it comes to my responses as well, I like to be as informed as I can be by the time I'm... Uh, reacting and giving takes on games, and especially when it comes to losses, I, I'm I'm quite confident in what I see during the game, and then I like to be, as you say, a lot more measured in what I uh, put out in the way of content. So it's a little bit more circumspect. Try to put a bit of a balance on things, and because I'm an ill supporter, it might weigh a little bit in the, into the positive, but that doesn't mean. I haven't plumbed the depths as everyone has over the last couple of weeks with the the results that we've had. So let's talk about the result against South Sydney briefly. Um, we do have other things to talk about this week because we've got the game in just a couple of days up against Newcastle. But uh, the Eels thirty eight falling to the Rabbitohs. Oh, sorry, the Eels twenty falling to the Rabbitohs thirty eight would have been nice if the scores were reversed. 
this was a game that unfortunately started on a very negative note. Once again, uh, the Eels have a pretty uh, clear barometer of how they're travelling based on how uh, Quentin Gufferson's travelling. And when your first touch is an error um, on your <laughs> the very first possession of the team on a kick return, it really doesn't uh, lay the foundation for a strong performance. And South Sydney would score from a, a scrum move that uh, Gufferson and I believe it was uh, Sean Lane and uh, was it uh, Papali'i maybe? Uh, they all missed him, uh, Damon Cook breaking from the scrum. And that, yeah, set the tone for a bad night. Uh, both edges got abused, but the right edge got abused pretty badly, in particular, even despite uh, swapping Wanga Blake and Tom Opachik around. Uh, deals did rally at some points, but yeah, this was a very bad loss. Uh, we, we had uh, three occasions from scrums, including the aforementioned Damian Cook try, but. Three times from scrums we didn't mark up correctly. They scored twice, and the third time was a forward pass that otherwise would have been another try. Uh, just fundamentally, uh, you had breakdowns between half, center, and wing down the right edge. Uh, I thought the officiating was garbage too, but that, unfortunately, it does not play a factor given how bad we played. But uh, I, I do want to talk about that a little bit, that the state of the game is just getting really, really bad. And the official for this game was Jared Sutton, and I thought he had a very, uh, very poor effort in terms of uh, Miss Sinbin's, Sinbin's caught against Parramatta, but not caught on... Uh, who, who got the high shot on... There was a high shot that was put on report against uh, on a Param- for a tackle on a Parramatta Eel, but it, it wasn't Sinbin, and then later on, Ryan Madison was Sinbin for an innocuous tackle with force. Um, was it... Was it- one of the halves was it? It was Cody Randall? Walker. It was Cody Walker, wasn't it? Cody Walker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Like you're right. And, and like in in the context of Simbins, I don't think it was a sinbinable offence. But with the crackdown happening, and then later that game, Ryan Madison getting going back to to ignore a Latrell shoulder uh, Latrell Mitchell shoulder charge in that same play that was then completely forgotten about to go find a Ryan Madison tackle that was fractionally high of his shoulder that you know would have been penalty sufficient during the play. Move on but not go back and simbin him. That, that's the state of the game. But let, let's disregard the officiating at the moment and talk about quickly where things went wrong for Parramatta, mate, because I know people were fired up about this because we were fired up about it too. But like I said, between my flu and whatnot, we couldn't get around to um, covering it, which I know people will try and spin as us being you know only positive about Parramatta. But we know there's fundamental issues defensively down that right side. Yeah. The, I want to come back to the starts of the game because – to me, we've seen we've seen a similar pattern in the three losses that the Eels have had against the Dragons, against Manly, and then against South, where they've lost. They basically lost the middle and lost the start of the games. I, I think there was a stat that was put out that when Parramatta scores the first try in games this year, they go on to win the game. So the three losses that occurred where. Parramatta hasn't scored the first try of the match. And basically, the tone was set by the opposition in both matches. So, we, as you said, we had the, the instance where, last week, where uh, South Sydney were able to get that error from Gutho in the first touch of the ball that Gutho had and then score from the scrum. And from there, they just dictated the play. They dictated how it was going to be played. They won the middle. They were winning basically all over the park and it embarrassed the Eels' right side. Just totally embarrassed the Eels' right side because when you've got the last player on the end of the line 
accepting the catch and strolling over for a try. We're not talking about sprinting to the corner. We're talking about strolling over for the try and casually putting the ball down. It looks and feels like a training run. And that's the only way you could describe it. It was literally like practicing for a game rather than actually a match itself. So mm-hmm. there's no there's no avoiding that. I was disappointed in the effort right across the park now for the first uh, for the last two weeks. And this this is a game too that we talk about how bad the edges were, but it's another game where the Eels did not win the collisions through the middle. And there was no Reagan Campbell Gillard who was suspended for this game, which is obviously a huge blow. One of the form props of the competition and a representative caliber uh, middle forward. But that doesn't excuse the Eels' lack of uh, willingness, lack of enthusiasm on the collisions on both sides of the ball. And that that really allowed Souths to control the middle, play the edges when they wanted to, and and just rumble the Eels for 50, 60 metres a set early on. Yeah, I saw very little in the way of intensity. And that really surprised me because I thought coming off a loss that there would have been, I don't know, an extra, something extra that we saw that we would see in the performance. I didn't think we would see a repeat performance, and unfortunately we did. Uh, We've had the change-up now in the the team selections where um, it's... uh, Look, I, I wrote the previous week about the folly of finding a scapegoat because a lot of people were pointing the finger at Wonga Blake. And my take on that was, okay, we lost it right across the park against Manly, but we don't know whether we've got players who are following instructions or not. And mm-hmm. that to, for, us, for us to point the finger at any one individual means that um, we're doing so without the benefit of knowing who is who is following instructions in the defensive system. So... My first take on that is that I I was concerned about our defensive system. I've been a little bit more educated this week about what's going on. Um, I understand the reasons around uh, Fergo's demotion this week. He's got something that he needs to work on. And that the system will work... If the system doesn't work with players following instructions that's when you're likely to see a change in a defensive system. If the, if the That's if you've got everyone following instructions. If you've got players don't follow instructions, that's when you might be seeing changes to the team itself. And uh, we saw the, the previous week with the change in sides for Wonga and Tommy Opacic. Um This week you're now seeing... And that was... I think BA admitted there that was looking to separate yeah, Wonga. That, that was Burgo. as candid as you ever seen Brad in a post-match press conference where he said that the team has noted that there was issues between Wonga Blake and Blake Ferguson. Not personal issues, but like a, a lack of chemistry or synergy on the field. Um, and yeah, the move was done to you know essentially separate them. Uh, Tom obviously had his struggles despite being very good this year. Um, there were times where it felt like when I, when I looked at the tape, he was at fault, which is, you know, understandable. Centre is a difficult position to defend. Um, and he didn't read the numbers correctly and sort of took Jake's man, which took Jake out of the play defensively. There were times where there was communication issues with Blake Ferguson. There were times when our middles were creating pressure on our edges by not getting up and across fast enough. So, like like you said, Blake Ferguson has paid the price for round 13, but there was a number of issues sort of... Um, 
creating a confluence of you know a, a superstorm of problems. So the, the Eels are try, obviously trying to address that. Let's talk about the Wonga Blake switch quickly. He had one bad miss on Campbell Graham, I believe it was, down that left edge, Parramatta's left edge. But aside from that, he didn't play too bad in the switch. Uh, did he? Uh, how did you see his game? Because switching from right to left is actually a lot more nuanced than a lot of people think because um, you train to have everything on one side. And it, as simple as it sounds to just inverse that, or invert that, sorry, it's uh, actually quite difficult Um just all the little nuances and, and things you have to sort of train yourself to do again. Um, but how did you think he held up against the Rabbitohs in a, a game we, we lost pretty badly, admittedly? I think what you saw from him, from Wonga was pretty much what you'd seen from Tommy Opachik over that side in all the previous matches, which was a centre doing their job. Uh, he didn't get... He, he made 20 opportunities. I'm just looking at the numbers here. I'm actually surprised. He made 23 tackles down the yeah. left. So they threw plenty of traffic at him. He did have that one miss, which is the only uh, credited missed tackle to him, which was the line break, and four ineffective tackles. But I, I'm actually surprised that South Sydney, now I think about it, South Sydney did adjust their game plan when they saw Oberchik had swapped sides. They did throw a bit of traffic at Wonga Blake down the other side, but then when they found out they were getting success down Parramatta's right, regardless, they just went that way all night after that. Yeah, so... I think given the circumstances of how many tackles he was required to make and the fact that he was credited with one miss there, that I thought he he did his job. I think when you've got players that are changing their sides or positions, what you're missing then is a combination and understanding of players who normally play next to each other. So Correct. you'd like to think that in the coming weeks with... Um, Wonga playing next to uh, Mitch Moses and uh, and Mike Nasivo, that you're going to have a better combination start to be found there. So it'll be interesting to to see how that evolves. But for a first up effort, do you know what? I didn't see terribly anything terribly different to how Wonga played against South last week compared to how Wonga played against South in the final yeah, last year. Exactly, which sort of, it's something that we've spoken about now a number of times. It's something that Brad made reference to in the post-match press conference that there is clearly just dysfunction between Wonga Blake and Blake Ferguson as an edge and perhaps the problem extends even though Wonga has his issues individually defensively, I feel like he, he doesn't always wrap up very well um, but it looks like that at least on a systematic level, on a technical level that uh, Blake Ferguson has been held accountable for the issues down that right edge now after he was dropped. So it's going to be very interesting to see how that um, tracks moving forwards, and it's definitely a storyline to follow against Newcastle and beyond. Uh, the other probably important thing that come out of this game uh, it concludes Jacob Arthur's uh, first taste of NRL, his first tour of duty in first grade. Um, had a, a fantastic start against the Warriors. Obviously, the losses against Manly and uh, South Sydney would have uh, not bit, like, you know, uh, made it sour or bit at his experience. It's an important learning process. But um, he had some defensive issues on the night because South threw a lot of traffic at him. But he did show some good heads-up vision, setting up a try for Gufferson with a nice kick ahead, and then showing some great heads-up play by kicking ahead for himself later in the game. Uh, where do you think Jake goes from here? Obviously, back to New South Wales Cup is the you know the answer. But uh, what, what does he do now for his progression in 2021? Okay, so just backtracking a little bit on the uh, three matches that he played in, 
we would have obviously preferred to see two wins in the last two weeks. Strangely enough, in terms of Jake's development, I think it's better for his development that he had two tough losses in those in those two matches because I think he will take plenty of learning from that. There'll be no doubt lots of homework that's been set for him about uh, whether it be his uh, positioning, how he approaches uh, certain players in defence. In uh, in uh, because let's face it, it's a big step up defending in lower grades compared to NRL with the pace of the game. And so we know that Jake's re- a very willing defender, but just the, the decision making process. You know, and the guys you're trying to tackle are just so much more elite than what you get in reserve grade, who are good footballers in Reggie's. But, you know, it, it's just a whole different kettle of fish, isn't it? It is. And I I had the benefit of talking to some players over the years with regard to what it's like in defence in their position. And one of the things that stands out is the importance of communication of the player next to them. So... We don't know, we're not privy to what the communication is like out on that side, but you can only assume that there is a communication problem out on that right-hand side with regard to uh, the players that have been over there. And we talk about the disconnect that's obviously there between Wanga and Fergo. I know that when Michael Jennings was there over the other side next to Sivo, his communication was vitally important for someone like Siva, who was relatively new to rugby league, where his his only experience had been coming through the um, lower grade competitions mm-hmm. and with the no benefit of playing junior football or anything like that. So the, that communication was critical to him in learning how to defend. So if you've got a disconnect in communication which it seems that there's also part of is part of it then jake would have learnt about the problems that can occur from that uh, at, at an nrl level because as you mentioned in in the lower grades jake is actually uh, quite a, a a very very good defender and we've seen it in junior football we've seen it at new south wales cup level how good his defense is so for him to get caught out a couple of times in each of those last two games, this learning experience is going to come from that. So, as I said to you, I, I actually think it's going to be to his benefit. So, where he goes from here is he goes back to New South Wales Cup level. He'll have things that he's going to work on, and he'll have he'll he'll just be back on his path. Where I think from now until he reaches a stage where he's ready to be a regular NRL player. We'll see him up and down a bit. He's what he's provided for his father here, and I say his father, but I'm talking about the coach. Is he's given a signal to the coach? Do you know what? If you need me for a short term assignment, I'm up to it. Mm-hmm. And I think that will be what we'll see from um, at different times, either the rest of this year or next year. That as he's required, that there won't be the hes- any hesitation around calling him up if there's an injury or heaven help us a suspension to Mitch Moses or Correct, Dylan Brown. Yeah. And and speaking of Dylan Brown, uh, Jake, for as good a job as he did as a 19-year-old rookie, you know, playing against a red-hot... No, he's still, eight, he's still 80. Well, turning, sorry, turning 19-year-old rookie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
uh, an important correction there because it actually does um, add uh, that sort of time in, the, in your physical development is significant. Uh, uh, coming up against uh, a very plucky Warriors outfit, a surging Manly and a, a bounce back Rabbitohs outfit. So, you know, three pretty quality opposition or level of opposition for a, a rookie. He did a relatively decent job. Uh, but it also reinforced how much of an outlier Dylan Brown is defensively. Uh, I think there was a stat that was posted on Twitter a few weeks ago about how, like in terms of t- uh, defensive involvements to defensive effectiveness, and Dylan Brown is just a complete outlier in the entire NRL. So uh, obviously Dill can work on um, honing his offensive repertoire, which would really take him into the elite category of NRL playmakers. But as a defender, he is just something else. And that's going to be a huge boon for the team getting him back against Newcastle. Yeah, because in his role, there are times where he's going to need to make the defence, the tackle in, in the position that he's in, in the defensive line. There's other times where, depending on what the attack throws at you, he will take up a um, a cover defensive role or, or sweep around uh, towards the wing. So uh, his his role as a defender is critical, and and there was a lot of um, positivity around Murata's efforts as a centre in the early part of this season, and that was well re- uh, well deserved, but. The other part of that equation was Dylan Brown's presence as well, which mm-hmm. I think helped to make that defensive side work. So uh, we still had occasions where the opposition was getting around the outside of the right side, but we were effectively using the sideline as a as an extra defender via the movements of Dylan Brown. Um, let's put the uh, finishing touches on this one because it was a bad loss and it and it carried on some of the trends of the uh, loss to Manly as well. Eels need to really break this circuit now, moving on to round 13. Um, fortunately, no suspensions have come out out of this one. There was a number of players put on report. Wonga Blake was cited twice but got fines. Ryan Madison was cited for his uh, simbitting tackle, which ended up just being a fine. And aside from that, I don't think there was anything serious that came out of this. So, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> Eels getting out of this one relatively unscathed. Are you still you're still breathing there, mate? Yeah, okay? still still kicking and, and stealing oxygen from the world, so getting there. Um, sorry about that. It's got a bit of a raspy throat. But yeah, uh, Eels will drop back to third on the ladder as a result, or they dropped back to third the week before on the ladder. Uh, so I think they still are third entering this round, though. Yeah, they are. So uh, Penrith obviously still pulling away, undefeated. Melbourne getting a one-game lead on the Eels as well now. So Eels uh, joint f- uh, joint third on the ladder of the Rabbitohs, ahead on for and against. And yeah, really need to ignite their run through origin now after back-to-back losses, which has been uncharacteristic of the Eels in recent times. They don't usually string losses back together. So definitely something to rally around as they move forwards. In terms of NRL news this week, a handful of things. Uh, two Eels earned origin call-ups. Junior Polo, as expected, was uh, selected in the Blues uh, 17. I believe he is named to play from the bench. Unfortunately for Junior, he's probably not going to get huge minutes this year, uh, well, this game at least, because uh, Freddie had the bright idea of playing Jake Dubojevic a prop forward, which means doing Jake Saifidi uh, of the Daniel variety and Payne Haas. Um, you've got three big-minute props there with Junior probably viewed as the impact guy to play in a limited role. So that's unfortunate for Junes. I would have liked to have seen him get a more expanded role in the New South Wales team this year, but still Origin will be good for him. And on the Queensland side of things, as we sort of anticipated, but probably not to the degree um, we hoped, 
Reed Marnie pick for Queensland, and it looked like he was initially going to play um, with team the early team was speculating he was going to start, but then it turns out he was picked in the extended squad as a 19th man. So now the Eels are waiting for him to be officially released uh, sometime during this week to play, but the expectation is that he will take to the field against Newcastle and play at dummy half for Parramatta. I think they're expecting that he'll be back to do the uh, captain's run tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it probably, I mean, it's obviously cool food ready to get selected in the extended squad. Disappointing for him that he doesn't get a chance to play, barring some sort of freak injury uh, between now and uh, uh, origin kickoff. Because even if he plays on the weekend, he can still go back into camp after if they need him. But, yeah, disappointing for Reedy. But the even just being around that environment will hope, hopefully, you know, refocus him and um, give him an understanding of where he needs to go in order to play Origin, which is always great. Um, yeah, but no other Eels selected. Reagan Campbell-Gillard probably unlucky to miss out. Uh, Gufferson got uh, caught up in the logjam of fullbacks and outside backs that were picked, so understandable why he missed. And Ryan Madison, a victim of that nasty shot from uh, Felice Cafusi earlier in the year, there was a real chance for him to get picked if all the uh, back rolls are either injured or suspended. And instead, uh, Freddie's plumped for uh, Tariq Sims, and uh, Cameron Murray is a starting edge back row as a matter on the outside looking in after just getting back on the field recently and not really hitting his straps yet. And uh, in terms of origin, when that game is uh, played, we'll have a quick review of how the Parramatta boys or boy go on that one. But uh, beyond that, uh, just waiting for Reed to get back to camp. Uh, speaking tangentially of origin, good to see Brett Kenny inducted into the New South Wales Rugby League Hall of Fame this week. Um, there was an event for the True Blues dinner held on Monday the 31st. Um, out at Piermont, the star. And uh, Kenny was inducted into the Hall of Fame, which I believe is the, just the New South Wales origin equivalent um, for that. So Brett, obviously an all-time great, and probably, as we've discussed in our, our podcast previously, 60s, should have been in the conversation for an immortalism, uh, a slice of immortalism probably, but have to settle for this uh, latest induction, mate. Yeah. I, as I've said to you in the past, I don't understand how some of the Eels players from the 80s or even late 70s into the 80s aren't in the discussion when it comes to immortal status. And even outside of Brett Kenny, and we're talking about the likes of Steve Eller or Eric Groth, but more so, uh, sorry, Peter Peter Sterling. Um, uh, you, you're then talking about Ray Price, yeah. <laughs> who, who in his 11 years with the Eels, the Eels missed the finals once in that in that period, and that was where he was injured for like the last five rounds of that season. I think they only won one game and had a draw or something like that from the last five games, and uh, they finished in sixth place when it was a top five. So under normal circumstances, uh, with Pricey playing, probably win close to all of those games and qualify in a canter for the finals. And uh, within those 10 final series, they play in seven grand finals and win four. And then Mick Cronin's stats are, are, are almost as impressive because he had only been there from 77, which is 10 years. But that is, again... Uh, reflected in that in those ten years, they play in nine final series, play seven grand finals, win four. Yeah, so it is a real sticking uh, point for us, isn't grand it? Grand finals with her, Mick Crone. He didn't play in '76, but yeah, six grand finals and win four. So how on earth 
they're not in the discussion uh, when given that they not only were they great at and uh, like amongst the greats at club level, they were international greats as well. It's yeah. just. I mean, Brett the was Brett was not in discussions. Brett was renowned for his ability to match up against Wally Lewis in the at the time the greatest arena that rugby league ever knew in State of Origin. So, and on top of that, playing for Australia too. So, it it just baffles the mind that they're never really in the contention for it. And and given the recency bias that's now at play, because I want to fast track guys like Jonathan First and Cameron Smith into the program into the initiative, um, you're going to see these guys just fall further and further back into the queue and just never really you know feature so it's really disappointing but and also when you consider that Parramatta was the last club to have a three-peat yeah premiership so no it doesn't matter how great the clubs have been since then that in the years since 1983 so we're talking about nearly the last 40 years no club has been able to do a three-peat so why players from that Great club era aren't in the talk, aren't even in, don't seem to be in the discussion for immortal status. Just it just baffles the mind. Mm-hmm. It really does. So I think it's something we might start to take a little bit further on TCT. It really feels like that's something we need to grassroots um, campaign, baby. Yeah, start banging the drums yeah. for that because, yeah, the, like you said, last uh, last free Pete, um, one of the few rugby league dynasties that you know really stands the test of time and yet not a single member of them including some of the greatest players ever assembled like you said pricey the crow sturlo and you know that whole ensemble car uh, ensemble cast of, of you know so many great players and yet none of them are in the mix so um well let's no. let's uh not get too hard on that because that is a very aggravating um subject for us but I think that just about wraps up the news, barring the injury report. Like we said, no Eels uh, picked up suspensions out of round 12. But uh, in terms of injuries, we are still TBA on Raystone's ankle, which is concerning. Um, the club not putting out uh, any sort of timeline on his recovery. But the good news is that Will Smith has returned from his broken thumb on the earlier side of his uh, scheduled return because it was rounds 13 or 14. And thankfully, he is back uh, for round 13. So that's a big boost to the Eels. Um, with Smith really shining in that utility role on the bench throughout the first part of the season. Um, and good to have him back um, for the Knights. And, yeah, I think in terms of news, that'll just about do us. Uh, we will just quickly speak about the other two uh, games that happened on the weekend. Uh, the flag going down in the final moments against the Rabbitohs, 24-18. Ollie Clements, Tyrone Harding, and Jaden Yates scoring. Josh Chappell, three from three. Um, this one was a bit of a heartbreaker, wasn't it, 60s? Yeah, uh, basically... Going for the winning play with a field goal in the in the closing seconds of the game, and then uh, the field goal wasn't on uh, with the rushing defence. Uh, we go for the the chip ahead inside the inside the quarter. Uh, the uh, South player regathers, goes the length of the field to score, <laughs> so and uh, sure. yeah, and it, the, I'm I'm sure it was there was an an obstruction. <laughs> in his uh, race to the other end of the field with the defence trying to come across in cover. But that's just how, look, I'm sure, I, I, I would hate to be in uh, Dean Feeney's place as that unfolded in front of his eyes at the end of the game because I think a draw would have been something that they probably would have been gladly taking at the um, just to put the, the run of outs behind them yeah uh, so 
um, yeah, one point far better than zero. So, um, yeah, and and then we had the uh, New South Wales Cup bounce back to winning form again. And, yeah, uh, stealing the strong, win late in the piece there, 22 to 12 over the Rabbitohs as part of the, the second leg of that triple header at um, Stadium Australia on Saturday. Hayes Dunster opened the scoring of Michael Oldfield, Will Penasini and Hayes Perham also getting in on the action, ranking going three from four off the tee. Um, there was some good performers in this game, that right edge for the Eels out wide, really shining both Hayes Dunster and Will Penasini, probably having their best games of the season, mate. Um, but in the forwards, you had strong, strong outings from uh, Makatoa and Greg. Uh, Tassapawi with his best uh, performance as a senior footballer and Kurt Dillon going over 200. So starting forwards doing really well. Right side doing really strongly. Naiduki getting heavily involved as well. So good to see that. And yeah, a timely uh, game for Hayes Dunster certainly, wasn't it, mate? Yeah, uh, outstanding figures. Arguably his uh, best game in the uh, New South Wales knock-on effect cup. It's, um, as you said, when, you, when you're pulling out the sort of numbers and form that he did last week, it makes the selection in NRL a little bit easier. There's um, it's where they're able to actually give an immediate reward for uh, effort and performance. Yeah, Hayes going 21 runs, 219 metres, four tackle breaks. And Will Penasini, a little bit down on the metres compared to Hayes with 17 carries for 194. So just, you know, quite outing for Will and seven tackle <laughs> busts. Um, both nab the tries we mentioned earlier. So great to see the two young um, outside backs performing there. Um, Will really starting to find his feet. I know there's a, a lot of murmurings about how he's in the mix for a debut and whatnot, but um, I, I think the Eels are very much in a holding pattern now to see how their defence and attack you know, structure works with, um, with Blake Ferguson dropped. So I don't think they're going to be rushing Will in. Um, but yeah, he's doing his you know, he's doing his job, learning on the job really well. And as we saw with Jacob Arthur, if the opportunity comes, he will get his shot, but they're not going to try and you know, force them into first grade uh, by way of, you know, wayward dropping and, and whatnot, so... Yeah, I'm not sure where some of the rumours come from, mate. I, 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 I'm really not sure where they, yeah, well, they picked Yeah, well, I was up. struggling to articulate there because it's it's just... I know people are excited to see a, a rookie debut and Will, um, through no fault of his own, has actually generated a lot of hype because of his association with Joshua Suwali. Joseph Suwali, sorry. Um, so he, by, you know, being a teammate of Joseph, he's sort of picked up all... The media's like, yeah, there's this other really talented kid from Kings that's, you know, playing in the, or will be playing NRL this year. And there's been a lot of hype articles about uh, Will this year. I mean, we're talking double digits now from major publications. So, but he's just doing his job. He is just, you know, as a young kid in, in reserve grade, playing three grades up, um, doing really well. Had some bad games here and there defensively, which we're always going to expect. But, you know, getting better and better, growing into his body. And when his opportunity comes, he'll take it. But yeah, so good to see him have a great game. And you know, continuing the work on that upward trajectory towards a first grade debut at some point. Yeah, and that's that's the thing is that we weren't expecting him to get an NRL debut. Uh, certainly, if it was going to happen this year, we figured it was going to happen late in the year and at the and at the appropriate timing, if that timing came about. Uh, and by that, we mean the Eels well-positioned inside the uh, top four, um, uh, maybe a couple of players needing a rest, those sorts of scenarios. But even then, the way that the draw is, uh, faces the Eels in the back half of the season, it's, it's hard to even see those sort of circumstances 
coming about. So, um, yeah, there is no need to rush players like Will. He's been on a, a learning trajectory in the New South Wales Cup, knock-on effect cup, that that has reached the stage where he had probably his best game of the season last week. So let him consolidate that. Let him grow in confidence. Let him uh, show what he's learning on a regular week-to-week basis. And when the time's right, he gets a run. Mm-hmm. It's as simple as that. And um, that was all the action from round 12 wrapped up. Let's jump into the previews now. Um, we'll get this uh, podcast wrapped up as we can because my photo's starting to give out a little bit. But uh, we are meant to kick off in the Jersey flag this week with the players in the um, 21s heading down to Melbourne to take on the Thunderbolts. But as we know, Melbourne is currently in a COVID lockdown. So no team lists have dropped for this game since team was Tuesday up until today, which is Friday the 4th. So um, we sort of are expecting this game to be rescheduled at this stage, because I know you've reached out trying to get clarification on the matter, but given what's happening in Melbourne, um, I don't think this game will be played in round 13. But it doesn't look that way, does it? And and that's understandable, and I think when it comes to the flag, uh, I'm, I'm not too sure how things look for, for buys or weeks where there's uh, no yeah, play in the back half of the season. Game, I know, because the, the flag had that fortnight buy that they schedule in the lower grades um, where they already had a, a rescheduled game against, uh, it was the rate, Canberra, Cronulla? No, who they play in that? They they had a rescheduled game a couple of weeks ago, which I'm, I'm absolutely yeah. brain farting on. Um, but yeah, which means they're going to have to find a, a way to squeeze this in. It might end up being a midweek game, like a two-week, yeah. uh, a two week, uh, sorry, two-game week for the Eels at some point, or they might just call it a no result. So who knows? We'll have to wait and see what happens there. Once we do find out um, via our channels, we will try and pass that on to our listeners, obviously. Um, but that takes us to the reserve grade game, which is part of a doubleheader out at Newcastle, Mitch, uh, Mitch Jones, McDonald Jones Stadium, sorry, um, at 1.30pm, the fifth-place Newcastle Knights hosting the third-place Parramatta Eels in the knock-on effect New South Wales Cup for the Eels. A number of changes this week as they get reinforced in some important positions, is always good to see. Um, they look like this with Hayes Perham back at fullback after playing 5-8 for last week. On the flanks, Solomon Naiduki and Sean Russell. Russell switching from fullback to wing as part of that Hayes Perham reshuffle because, we'll get to that shortly, uh, Will Penasini, Michael Alford are in the centres first. But in the halves, Jacob Arthur back at, um, at halfback, which means that Jordan Rankin goes back to 5-8, which then facilitates that whole switch between Perham and Russell. So back to a relatively full-strength backline for the Eels. Obviously, Hayes Dunster is out playing first grade, so that's the uh, one, quote-unquote, weakness in the backline, but a good-looking backline nonetheless. Front row, Mahek- uh, Makahesi Makatoa and Wiramu Greg, as always. Joey Lusick named the hooker after initially being thought be uh, in the NRL mix, but with Reid Marnie, uh, as we believe, going to be released to play against Newcastle. Lusick drops back to help the uh, reserve grade team and a big boost to them. On the edges, Ellie Elsgaham and Charvel Tassapali will play left and right. And Kurt Dillon is the lock forward. On the bench, Nathaniel Roach, David Hollis, Kai Rodwell, and Samuel Luizu. Uh, there, no 18th man this week. So good to see uh, uh, Sammy in the mix on the bench now. I'll be interested to see what sort of minutes he gets, mate. But it's a good-looking Reggie's team looking to build on that win against South Sydney. Yeah, now sitting in outright third mm-hmm. on the ladder. So it's, as we've said every week, it's an exciting team to follow because... You will get a little bit of fluctuation in form with the uh, due to the age of the team and the fact that they're a team that's 
still relatively new in terms of combinations. Uh, that may not be terribly different to a lot of other clubs, but it, there's plenty of talent in the team so that when it clicks, it's like it really clicks for them. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, good result last week. Back into back into the groove. At, but I think we'll see uh, continuing little fluctuations uh, for the rest of the season. But the importance of having a good New South Wales Cup team is really reflected in what they can offer during the week of training. Because to have quality opposed sessions is integral to any first grade team. And last year, Parramatta, uh, when there was talk about a bit of a mid-season slump and, and, and we know that there were issues around that middle of the year when Parramatta's results weren't as strong, I really put down a lot of that to the fact that the the training couldn't be as it was, as it needed to be. And yeah. every team was in that with the bubble. You just, you had staff and like the coaches, um, anyone jumping in to make up the numbers in the opposed sessions. It, it literally was, uh, and, and there would have been some clubs who were in absolutely horrible positions with that when there was injury tolls that were, that were taking injuries that were taking their toll on the first grade team. And we saw some of the clubs that were debuting different players last year. They essentially had no choice. Yeah, They were down to the players <laughs> that were available within the bubble. And um, uh, Parramatta last year had the likes of uh, Kyle Schneider and Sam Hughes at some stage playing the out wings, on the wings yeah. in a post session. Yep. So, um, yeah, the, I think the having a, a strong reserve grade, it's not just good for us to go and watch and to, and to look at their progression as players coming through the grades and the role that it plays there, but there is that important role of being able to, to provide quality opposition during those opposed sessions of training for mm-hmm. the NFL team. So, yeah, Eels obviously looking to prevail in the New South Wales Cup at 1.30pm out of McDonald Jones. That is the curtain raiser to the main event, which kicks off at 4.05pm, which will be the only game on Sunday because it is the split round. Eels taking on the Knights, which is 3v11. Obviously, the Eels in third place. <clears throat> Travelling up to Newcastle to take on a team that uh, has been a bogey team for a while, um, but the Eels do have the uh, last two wins in a row before that, a string of uh, four losses, which was snapped at the end of 2019, leading into that game in 2020, where we saw uh, Jay Field and Dylan Brown lead the team to that win in a very uh, defensively orientated 10 to 4 victory. Um, Mate, can, uh, when we, after we go through the team list and our takes on the game, I have some questions I want to ask you about Newcastle and Parramatta's uh, history head-to-head history and, and just some of your recollections. So put your put your brain into action after we oh, look no. at the match itself. Oh, no. I'm, I'm not the sharpest on a normal day, and I've got the uh, the, the lingering symptoms of the flu to get over here, but we'll see how I go. But there is a bit of backstory to this game because it is Newcastle's old boys' day. They've brought this one forward because, guess what? It's the 20th anniversary of the 2001 Grand Final. Yes, and that's going to be some of what we'll talk about. So, so Newcastle yeah. always fired up for their old boys' day, which means the Eels will have a, a big target on their backs this week. Um, the crowd's going to be packed out. Undoubtedly, they always get out there at Newcastle for a normal game, but for old boys' day, they always turn out in droves. So it's going to be a, a very uh, parochial crowd, very uh, 
loud and, and raucous, I dare say. Um, they're taking, I mean, on the back of their win last week that's over right, the Seagulls. That's right. They snapped the Seagulls winning streak. Um, and I, it makes you wonder why we got to play the Seagulls we played when they played that badly against Newcastle. But um, that's been our luck lately, getting a, a resurgent South Sydney, a surging Manly, and we weren't good enough on the day to beat either of them. But, yeah, man, uh, Manly falling to a, a combative Newcastle team last week, which means they're going to have plenty of confidence. They are down on troops this week. Let's go for their team list because they're missing some big names between origin and injuries. At fullback is Tex Hoy, not Kalen Ponga. Ponga would have been out regardless due to origin duties, but he did fail his fitness test there. So um, Hoy takes over the custodial roles at the back. On the wing, Stafford Toa and uh, Braden Musgrove. In the centres, Anari Tuala and Bradman Best. Uh, Connor Watson is named at 5'8". I'm just trying to think. There was some talk about him switching, I believe. Um, but Connor, Connor Watson and Phoenix Cross were named at 5'8 uh, and halfback, respectively. Front row of uh, Suaso Sue and Jacob Saifidi with Jaden Braley captaining the team from hooker. In the back row, Brody Jones, Lachlan Fitzgibbon on the edges, Mitchell Barnett at lock forward. On the bench, Kurt Mann, Josh King, Jack Johns and Sim Sasagi. Uh, extended roster is, this is why, Jake Clifford, uh, Jira Momosia, Matt Crocker, and Gehamet Shibasaki. So Jake Clifford making the mid-season transition here to the from the Cowboys to the Knights, which is what the talk is. He'll jump into the halves and bump uh, Connor Watson to lock forward or to the bench as the super sub. So I think that's the uh, two options there. For the Eels, Quentin Garfison captain the team as always from fullback. Mike Acevo and Hayes Dunster on the wings with Tom Opachik and Wanga Blake in the centres. We're expecting them to line up as per the game against South Sydney. Uh, Opachik on the right, Wanga Blake on the left, but we can always check that quickly at kickoff. It'll be pretty obvious which side they're playing on. Dylan Brown makes his return from a free game suspension and will partner Mitchell Moses in the halves. Regan Campbell-Gillard likewise makes his return from a one-game suspension and will partner Murata near Kore in the front row with Reed Marnie at dummy half. Isaiah Papali'i and Ryan Madison are the edges. I believe they've swapped jerseys this week, but maybe they haven't. I think they're back in their normal jerseys now. So Nathan Brown at lock forward, pardon my ramblings. Will Smith back from injury on the bench, and he'll be there alongside Sean Lane, Oregon Kafusi, and Bryce Cartwright. It's a young extended bench, or an experienced extended bench, rather. Joey Lusick, just two NRL games in his career, or three NRL games. Makasi Makatoa, uh, Jacob Arthur, and Will Penasini. So there's something like six NRL games between the four of them there. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, so we're not fi- we're not figuring anything the feature this week, but it's it's cool seeing the young kids like Jake and Will in the mix alongside someone like Makahesi Makatoa, who is a, a senior rookie but been very very good for the Eels in reserve grade. But yeah, Newcastle team without the likes of Callum Ponga, Daniel Saifidi, David Clemmer, and Frizzell. Saifidi obviously in the Origin team. Clemmer suspended, Frizzell injured, and uh, Ponga was both uh, Origin and injured. So. Missing some big-name players, but uh, that hasn't stopped the Newcastle Knights from springing upsets from the Eels in recent history. Yeah, it's... So just in when you're talking about history, since 2009, so we're talking 2010 onwards, there's four games where the Eels have been victorious Including in that the time. Last, the last two. <laughs> so and, I'm, and, looking, I'm looking at the spread here. Yeah, as you said, the last two, and there's been no winning margin for the Eels greater than six points. I think it's uh, a couple of six-pointers, a four-point and a, and a two-point win, something like that. Yeah. So there's e- even at, at times where you might have thought that the Eels had a chance of of scoring a, a reasonably significant victory, they haven't against the Knights. Mm-hmm. The, if if you can call the Knights a bogey team, then the Knights are... then. 
those sort of stats almost back it up. Uh, even with the la- the two wins last year, there was nothing convincing about the victories. No. Yeah, so fourteen and um, ten to four, they're both very narrow. Yes, yes. So uh, it it's even with their uh, affected lineup, their injury plagued and origin selection impacted lineup. There's you still know that they're going to front up, especially on old boys day and lift but the sort of lift and energy that you'd hope that the eels will play with this week given two losses in a row so as far as i'm concerned if the eels turn up without intensity they'll be on the back foot from the start against a knights team that will front up that way and as we know if Parramatta doesn't start well it tends to set the trend for the rest of the match for the Eels this year, the, because those three losses have all come back, on, have all come on the back of starting poorly. And it doesn't matter. We can talk about the how atrocious the right side has looked in those last two games, but unless we turn up with intensity from the start and show composure with ball in hand, then we're going to be in for a tough. And long afternoon. Yep. And Lachlan Fitzgibbon, who plays on the Knights' left, will test out that right edge. He's a, uh, a sneaky little try merchant and, and can create plenty of second-phase play. So he also have to be on the, on the lookout for him. Um, but like you said, unfortunately, because you, you love to see the Eels being able to roll up their sleeves and get into the tough contests like they did against Brisbane round one where they had a shocking first half and then fought their way back in, but uh, they've, they've sort of struggled recently to do that. If they don't start hot, they um, unfortunately cannot work their way back into the contest, which is something they're going to have to you know, uh, address at some point because you're not always going to be able to start red hot. But no, least- and it's, it's not like, how can I put it? it? It's not like the Eels haven't won tough in games where they've, they've had a team uh, like, like we saw with the game against the the storm and against the roosters where the opposition are up for it and uh it's it's a tough competitive match where we've literally strangled the opposition out of the game so Parramatta can play like that Parramatta can get into the grind it's just been that those losses they've started poorly and it's been there's no grind it's mm-hmm. just it's just been a a, a damn poor performance agreed. from start to finish agreed so yeah um I don't think all the hoo-ha about old boys' day will affect the Eels too much mentally. Obviously, Newcastle will be fired up because of it. Um, but the whole you know, 20, 20th anniversary since the 01 Grand Final, these players are so detached from that result, I don't think it's going to play on their minds too much. Obviously, it's fair. Yeah, no, they're, they're younger players, they're not interested in history yeah. like that. No. They really aren't, I don't think. And obviously, we the fans bear the scars because that 01 Grand Final in particular was you know tragic coming off one of the greatest individual or individual the greatest team seasons as an individual season ever um the, the eels were so red hot heading into that final series and so red hot for that entire final series right up until the grand final day where uh joey johns who is now on our payroll rather amusingly um and ben kenny decided to spoil the party um and it, it sort of it was lost on the day but that newcastle team was actually very good um but it was just the eels were so dominant throughout that entire season that they were came in as rabid underdogs and uh and sport the party and the eels needing just another five minutes really 
in that game to take that game to extra time, end up losing 30 to 24. And now let, let me throw now, seeing as though we're touching on it. Okay, let's, let me let's throw open up the wounds. A little bit. Yeah. yeah. Now, how old were you in the 2001 grand final? I would say 13 ish, 12, 13, going on for Okay. Head. So, how, how intensely were you following the eels at that age? That, I mean, that, is that burnt into your. That, that, was, that was as I was like really getting into rugby league as a fan. So. Um, the scars of '98 weren't as significant because I was, you know, a little bit younger, and 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 I, I do remember, you know, the the capitulation. But uh, the 2001, as a young kid, was really, you know, you, uh, in, in top of primary school, you're getting involved in all your sports, start playing a bit of footy, and your your team is playing so great all year, and then you go in, yeah, hey, we're going to win the grand final, and then that happens. And in particular, for me, the moment that stood out, I'm, I'm trying to recall who scored the try, but it was on half time. We let a kick bounce and uh, it let the Knights score to take it to 24 nil. And that, that was like the straw that broke the camel's back because it ended up being the, the six point difference. Uh, but yeah, that, as a fan, that was like right when I was really starting to get into the Parramatta uh, because my family has always been dogs or eels. And you know, for one, for better or worse, I was conned into to supporting the Eels because my old man and my cousin, who was uh, a very ardent Parramatta fan, uh, who was uh, was like, like more like an uncle to me because the age difference, but he was an incredible uh, figure in the family. He always went out of his way to to look after me and my younger brother. <clears throat> um, yeah, that's why we're Parramatta fans. <laughs> and so yeah, that one hurt. O one really, really hurt. Yeah. So that's that was. And that was really your first experience of a grand final loss. Uh, and and unfortunately for you and for all of the younger Eels supporters, that turnaround from feeling the pain of a loss, hasn't you haven't had the opportunity to, to enjoy the, the bounce back feeling of a victory. No, so Rob, robbed in 09, we, we choked up in 05 in the, the qualifier. Um, you know all, all these things Parramatta fans know so we're just you know retreading over it as my as my journey as a fan but yeah unfortunately no uh, taste success yet for the bicentennial babies like myself yeah so for for myself uh, I had the the uh, pain of 76 and 77 as mm-hmm. the first grand finals that I attended and and funnily enough there although there was a bit of pain in 76 and an upset, there was just such excitement about being in a grand final for the first time ever that um, I, I I wasn't distraught at the at the loss. Seventy uh, seven, I was angry with the loss, but that had a lot to do with the officiating mm-hmm. rather than anything else. And uh, fortunately, only had to wait another four years for the uh, the victories to come. And then it, it and it felt like it was just a natural thing for Parramatta to either be in the grand final or challenging to be in the grand final back in those in those days. But uh, 2001, when that finally came around, I, I, was, I was absolutely convinced because of the season that we'd had that it was almost going to be a formality winning in the grand final. And uh, I was at the game and uh, myself and Trouser Eel had had uh, we had a, a few uh, pre-game celebratory drinks and uh, probably walked into the ground with a little bit of um, a sway 
<laughs> going on from the uh, from the uh, alcoholic con- uh, consumption that had occurred. But I tell you what, the combination of that first half from Newcastle and being up the upper heights of the grandstand on that day had a very sobering effect. So by the time I was, I, I'd planned on being out for the next twenty four hours. I've, I, I'd basically said to the family, "Look." You're probably not going to see me for 24 hours because after the game, we'll be going, heading back into Parramatta, going to enjoy ourselves. I'll see you sometime tomorrow. They saw me very early that, <laughs> that night oh, because I, I came home very sober and uh, just stunned, just stunned that night. So mm-hmm. um, when it comes to Newcastle, not only are they a bogey team, but... Um, they are burnt into my memory as a as a team where we just don't get the sort of results against them that uh-huh. I expect. I, I I never go into a game against Newcastle expecting a, a win. Yeah, or the, the tips are always um, going to win. It's going to be by that sort of single digit margin, right? Yeah. So, uh, I, and that's so. I was just um, thinking about that this week. I I honestly had felt that um, until I started thinking about Newcastle as a team, as an opponent, I'd been thinking, I really think our bounce back is going to be strong this week to the point where I was ready to predict an 18 to 20 point win. And I'm now backing off a little bit because I, I just think there's, there's something about how Newcastle approaches games with Parramatta um, and maybe history shouldn't count like that, but when you've lived through so many either tight wins or bad losses, it's hard to discount. Yeah, there's enough. There's enough history there to just you can't ignore it. So before, but before we get on to talking about any predictions, just want to talk about Hayes Dunster and his um, his second top thirteen selection for the Eels. So he's had a couple of games this year off the bench, but last year when he got his debut, there wasn't really a chance to celebrate the debut beforehand. And when it was done, yes, there were some plaudits for a a really solid debut, but there wasn't really a follow-up because the season was over. Yeah, one and done. Yeah, and... Uh, so when it he, he didn't get the excitement leading up to the game, he hadn't been part of the captain's run. There'd been no no special presentation that in a lead up to the game. Everything was it all unfolded on match day, and under those circumstances, maybe it was a maybe it might have been ideal for him because he wouldn't have got a chance to feel too nervous or anything like that for. For days, he would have had all the sleep that he needed to get. There wouldn't have been any restless nights or anything like that. I, I'm not sure how he is in his pre-match, whether he does get uh, you know, nervous before the game or, or what have you. But there's there's a bit that, he's, that he missed out, I think, on celebrating. So he's, I think he's earned this recall to the NRL starting lineup. As a, as a player who's come through the pathways with a Dylan and Oggy, I think it's it's a great reward for Hayes because 
it hasn't come as quickly for him as it has for those other players, but he's he's earned that respect on the coaching staff as someone who, if he's told to to follow certain instructions, they are confident he's going to go out there and follow those instructions. Doesn't mean he hasn't got an error in his game. We know he's got an error or two in his game, mm-hmm. but it won't be through doing the wrong thing in terms of uh, his role or, or or what he needs to do out there in the game. So uh, let's let's give uh, a bit of time to acknowledge Hayes Dunster's achievements in earning this selection rather than focusing, as, as I think has been the case with a lot of the media during the week, on uh, the selection bombshell of I mean, uh, there's the a, Fergo there's not being... a certain controversial figure that always loves to get his headline, name in the headlines, tried to insinuate the Eels made a racially charged uh, selection, I suppose, by dropping Ferguson. Um, oh, that- look, it's, uh, I, I think any, <laughs> I think anything that goes down those lines, it's, uh, you know, it almost feels, it almost feels too grubby to comment. Yeah. On, doesn't uh, you don't like want to give oxygen to it because the Eels clearly, um, you know, don't, entertain those sort of ideas when it comes to selection. It's a meritorious based process. <clears throat> and as fans, um, we know that people have had gripes about Ferguson defensively for what, um, sometime alongside Wonga Blake. So it's not like this was an, un- like there was no precedent for this. Ferguson had his issues. So like, like we said, we're not even going to give it the oxygen to No, to look, propagate. the fact is, the fact is, Fergo is a highly paid athlete who's who's was considered a a prime recruit three years ago when he joined the eels uh, that's that that goes without saying and the last thing that the eels would want as a club is to have such a highly paid out athlete a highly paid footballer playing in the lower grades yeah. so what what they ideally want is for him to quickly regain his form or to work on the things that they've asked him to work on. And it's obvious that that fits in around defense, because if you're looking at his attacking numbers, there's, there's not too many complaints that would come around his attacking numbers, but there's two sides to a game of rugby league. It's obvious. He's been asked to work on some things when it comes to defense. And the, and the best case scenario is that he's, he does exactly what they've asked him to do. And that he's back in the top grade lineup as soon as possible, and earning himself a contract wherever that might be in the coming years, because he's been too good a footballer over the years to let this um, stop him. And and if I was if I was a, a mate of Fergo's, what I'd be directing him to is um, the Morris brothers. Yes. Who? Yeah. At, at different times, uh, and, and we're talking about you know, five, six years ago, looked like um, you know they'd lost their mojo. Um, I'm trying to think which one of the twins it was that was dropped to reserve grade for the Bulldogs. And um, I remember going out and watching this game over at Ringrose Park, and he absolutely carved us up over there in the reserve grade, and he looked like a quality international player playing against reserve grade because that's exactly what it was. 
Mm-hmm. So he took his demotion in his stride, and um, their careers have gone on to their mid-30s at a, at a time when there was uh, the early signals at, at around the age of 30 that maybe time was up, and it hasn't been. Now, to me, Ferguson's in a very similar position where he's he's had he's now had this... Uh, spot where he's been dropped and and let's face it michael jennings had that back in 2018 Mm -hmm. where he was where he was dropped to reserve grade had to play a game for wenty because his form demanded that he that he be dropped so plenty of players have, have faced that and bounced back and worked on the things they've needed to and have gone on to have um successful careers from that point onwards so um, yeah, if I was a mate of Fergo's, I'd say, mate, look, there's only a little bit that you need to work on. Work on it. Prove them wrong. Prove that you're worthy of a contract, wherever that might be. And, yeah, just go on the business of, of showing what you're, uh, what you're capable of. Yes, sir. I think that's a pretty succinct summation of it all as well. <clears throat> and, you know, it'd be very interesting to see how the Eels perform defensively. Um, and admittedly, there's going to be a lot of work to do at the start of sets now for both Mike Acevo and Hayes Dunster. But as you saw with those numbers on the weekend, Hayes is capable of getting through a workload. So looking forward to seeing how the young guy goes. And and like we said before, we, this weekend is about the promotion of a young guy more so than Ferguson getting dropped. You want to celebrate that and then let Fergo work on his stuff away from the game. So let's get on to predictions, mate. Uh, we know that Newcastle have a history, a torrid history of making these games very tight, have won most of the games in the last 10 years. How do you see this one playing out for the uh, reshook or shaken up eels? I think I'm going to predict a scoreline of uh, 26-20 to the eels. So mm-hmm. I see it now as a narrower scoreline than I first envisaged. Now, if this doesn't play out as the historical records show, um, I look, I honestly... I. I cannot see Parramatta losing this. I just cannot see Parramatta losing this. If they are to lose this, then um, it's <laughs> I'm going to have to rethink uh, my pers- my perception of the team because well, it, it'll, it'll lead uh, to a very interesting discussion that we might have to have about you know reshaping the team's projections if they do drop a third straight game. Um, that's a discussion that if it happens, we will approach. But yeah, you think the Eels bounce back here? You think that they do it in a in a solid fashion too? Well, given that you've got the return of uh, significant a significant player like Dylan Brown, which means that we will play with the spine that uh, is the spine that we regard as the top spine within the club. We're only missing really one of the regular first graders in. In Junior Paulo, um, there is there is no and yes, we've had that shake up around around Fergie, but um, that's a that is a selection decision. It's not a it's not an unavailability. Correct. Question. That, that was a consciously made decision by the coaching staff for the betterment Correct. of the team. Yeah. So uh, I think given given that and given the situation that the Knights are in. Um, and even though they're going to going to lift, I, it is it would be a, a complete shock to the system were the knights to be victorious over the eels. So um, I'm I'm predicting twenty six to twenty, but I'm not ruling out the possibility that 
we do a number on them um, because I think I think that and I mean it's not like I want us to come out and just carve up. I want us to work for yeah, the win. Good I fundamental football. Get, get into the contest. Work for your sets. Defend strongly. Win the con- the collisions through the middle. <clears throat> and then you can go wide. That that's what we want to see. That's when the Eels are at their best, and that's where they've fallen away in the last couple of weeks. So, I, yeah. I definitely want to be seeing that from the Eels, regardless of scoreline. You want to see the the fundamental stuff really shine through this week. Yeah, and I think that um, the team's going to be very focused. Uh, I, I can say what I've observed at training this week is a team that's. Um, Looks like they've got their game faces on. Some weeks at training, you'll see game faces on. Other other weeks, you might see where I'm, I'm trying to think of the right way to to phrase it, but it's like um, it it's like they are enjoying where they're at. And it, look, I you do enjoy it. it. Look, I think it is important to enjoy training and to and to have the moments where you can have a bit of a laugh or what have you. But there's, there are weeks where it just looks like this is a serious group of blokes out there. And it really had that feel this week that this is a, this is a really important game. And it's not, that, it's not that they don't treat, and this is where I've got to be careful in saying this, it's not saying that there is games where they obviously don't treat it as important. I, I think obviously they do treat every game as important, but... I don't know. Sometimes you just get a vibe about about where the players' heads are at, and it just looks like it's a really serious vibe this week with with how they're approaching it. So Which you love to hear because uh, this is really business. This is go time. Origin with just one player out. Deals really need to search here and make up big ground. So yeah. on my yeah. end of things, I'm going to be reckless and tip a double digit win. I'm going to go for twenty five to ten victory for the Eels. That you know late field goal just to put the icing on it. Um, and I'll go with the returning boy, Dylan Brown, to score the opening try. Um, I know Dylan's not exactly a prolific try scorer, but, you know, point to prove, maybe he'll take on the line early and make the the break. Well, I'm I'm going to go for uh, not the other returning boy in Hayes Dunster. I was very tem- tempted to go for him for first try scorer. I think we might go, I think I might go for the other fellow who's been in the headlines a bit, Wonga Blake. To be the first try scorer, so mm-hmm. uh, it's uh, yeah. I just I just have that feeling he's he's we might see something from him. So um, and now whether that be that he he's put into a hole by Mitch Moses or he gets a return ball on the inside from uh, Mike Acevo, I just have that feeling that where he might just get him find himself getting across the line this week. Yes, sir. And that's a nice place to wrap it up, as always. Um, thanks for stopping by and listening. Apologies for my raspy and nasally voice this week. Hopefully, I'll be better on the uh, hopeful instant reaction side of things if we can get a, a solid win and I'm up to it. Um, we'll be up on uh, Sunday night doing the recording. But, yeah, uh, apologies for and, that. Uh, and, and also, um, uh, we look forward to um, uh, circumstances that made it a bit difficult for Joey Grimer to be on our show this week. Um, so we look forward to him being able to join us again next week for the podcast. Yeah, Joey, obviously a huge part of the tip sheet and what makes our podcast so enjoyable to listen to, having um, someone as storied and understanding in football as uh, Joey. So, yeah, we, we always have, have a blast when he's on, and we look forward to him rejoining us in the near future. Uh, but for the time being, 
like I said, apologies for getting the podcast up late this week due to my uh, health issues, but uh, we'll be back as normal scheduling, I believe, and as always, thanks for stopping by. So we'll catch you guys on the other side of round 13. Go the Eels. <laughs>